<laughs> I want you. Okay, hold on. I want you to imagine you've opened your fortune cookie. Fill your cake stand with art, house with dirt, and your birthday cards with hair. It's the new Bible. There. Know the system you're messing with before you mess with it. Know the system you're messing with before. You... Yes. That's it. Check. Done. That was the fastest one yet. Is it worth the wait? Michelle things have changed I'm well first of all if you don't know what the baseline for this is I'm Catherine <laughs> and I'm Michelle and this is our podcast angry men none which, of that has changed we're we have the same identities changed. I mean last episode which you was did- a while ago I was Michelle and I had a very high fever so I don't have a fever now um that's one I thing am. that's changed one of the that's many one- positive changes no high fevers <laughs> so on this podcast we bring each other and you three things. And what are those three things? Those three things are a weird thing, a pop culture thing, and a research thing. And then and we we share them with one another. We don't know about it beforehand. And then we try to make them all fit together in a way that makes sense and can be useful information, a fortune cookie message. Yeah. So what's none of that has changed. None of that. That's that changed. is the baseline. But what has what changed has changed is that. I am now on the other side of the world. All the way and on the other side. As far southern, as you can get from me. I really am. Instead of the other side of the country. So <laughs> I'm in Australia. I finally, finally, finally did it. After three, four years, I have moved to Australia. I now live in Brisbane. And it's everything I hoped it would be and, and more. Bright and sunny and daytime where Catherine mm-hmm. is. And dark and dreary and nighttime where I am. You might get a whole different Catherine because I get to drink coffee now. I have a no coffee after 4 p.m. rule, but right now it's It's 11 a.m. So drinking it down. So instead of fevered Catherine, you'll get caffeine Catherine. And you can can write in and tell us what you prefer. We'll do an audience poll. Fever (laughs) Catherine or caffeine Catherine. Which do you like better? This is episode 46. 46. We are doing this thing. And you go first, Michelle. I go first. Well, I'm going to go ahead and start with my weird thing. My weird thing is, like many weird things that I've discussed, just some random headline that I missed the first time it went around and caught in the bizarre, like, here it is popping up on social media. And I'm like, what? What are we talking about? Oh, that was years ago. Well, 
I just learned about it today. So this was the headline that I saw. Mountain goats are being airlifted out of a national park because they crave human pee. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so many questions right off the bat. Uh, And then the tagline is... is Wow. Okay. There's more. Their insatiable thirst for human urine is causing some problems. (laughs) Just, just a few problems. (laughs) My first question right off the bat, my first question right off the bat is not do, I don't even know what my first question is. Okay. My first question is, are they being airlifted so that they can get the human urine they crave or are they causing problems and that's why they're being airlifted out? They're causing problems because of their insatiable urge for human pee. So they are being airlifted away from their temptations. Which is, I'm assuming, human bodies. This would be like if you really wanted some Oreos instead of them being <laughs> like, no, 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 you can't have Oreos. Or maybe we just won't bring Oreos into this house. This would be people come <laughs> and bag you. And blindfold you because they blindfold <laughs> the goats and oh, take no. you and your loved ones away in pairs and drop you somewhere where there are no Oreos. I can just see this. I'm in the grocery <laughs> store. I'm in the cookie aisle. And then just all of a sudden, the squat team, no, they descend upon you. I'm in the ice cream aisle. It's Ben and Jerry's time. Get out of there. Get out I'm of sure there. The, I'm sure the blindfold is like so they don't get sick and nauseous, yeah. but still. So, okay, continue. So this, is, this is an Olympic National Park, Washington State, and there is a species of mountain goats that were introduced there in the 1920s. They are not native to the area. They have blossomed into a staggering 700, as of 2018, which is when this article came out, in number, um, and they the area is not best suited for them. They can't get the salts and minerals that they need. Um, but a great source of the salt and minerals that they need is human pee and sweat. So they are Aww. like like you do when you have a need that isn't being met. They are working hard to to live their lives the best they can, which is um, making them, you know, like wander through camping sites and try to get to people's pee. And it's just not great. Here's Here's a quote about some of the adverse effects of the goat's behavior. Mountain goats can be a nuisance along trails and around wilderness campsites where they persistently seek salt and minerals from human urine, packs, and sweat on clothing. They often paw and dig areas on the ground where hikers have urinated or disposed of cooking wastewater. Goats that paw and dig at the earth have posed a detriment to the environment. (laughs) So they're they're hurting the earth trying to get to the pee. (laughs) Um, And less, less levity to this one there was just safety concerns a hiker was gored to death at the park by a goat in 2010 so someone has died so they just don't want the goats here so they as of 2018 i um this is my weird thing not my research thing so i didn't follow up to see what the current population of the goats is i will leave that to you dear listeners find out for us um and so as they were trying to get it down by 90%. They wanted to reduce it. And the way they are doing this is by tagging them, blindfolding them, and airlifting them in pairs to better suited environments with fewer people and more, one would hope, natural minerals for them so they don't have to seek out pee. That's my weird thing. I wonder why they don't leave out like salt blocks maybe for them. 
instead? That seems so much easier and It cheaper, does seem right? a lot easier than blindfolding goats and airlifting them. But I guess there has to be a reason that salt doesn't. Mm, what I've learned about it. the world is there doesn't always have to be a reason. Sometimes. <laughs> Ooh, I feel like that's a, I feel like we could just say that's our fortune cookie and end it right here. It doesn't have to be a reason. It doesn't have to be a reason. I feel like that flows really well into my weird thing, which is not nearly as interesting. Flows really well. Ha ha. Oh, 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 oh. oh no, a goat. <laughs> Get away from my urethra. Get a blindfold. Um, Get a blindfold. <laughs> so it flows. It does flow. Um, really well all i can think of now is have you ever seen uric acid like crystallize it's really pretty it is really pretty it's like a yeah like a crystal because i'm thinking if it's not if a salt block doesn't work i would love to see a uric acid block or rock like rock candy but you make it with uric acid for the goats <laughs> there's a business there's a business for here. you <laughs> too bad goats don't have money um i don't anyway. the people airlifting them must have some True. so we just get a board with them. Okay. So there doesn't have to be a reason. I think that is advice. I've just moved to a new country. I've started a new job. And yet I would say, not exaggerating, 25% of my mind and brain power is currently dedicated to this issue, which is so stupid. And I need to let it go. And I need to say there's probably not a reason. Um, so I'm in Australia now. Would you think my weird... I love animal facts. I love Australian animals. That's not going to be it. That's not my weird thing. My weird thing does have to do with me moving to Australia, but it's so stupidly banal. So I have clothes and those clothes need to be put on hangers. Not, not a uh, wildly new or interesting issue. So... Over the course of my adult life, I have bought plastic white hangers from Target. I do that because then they all match. They're they're really very cheap. And I've always thought, you know, there's always going to be a Target that you can go to and get these white hangers. So all of my adult life, I have been acquiring white plastic hangers from Target. When I made this move, I did pack two entire boxes of Target white plastic hangers but I could not make myself pack more than that. Cause I'm like, we have to pay for like for this per square foot. I cannot move target hangers. That's not worth the money. And so I got here and I'm like, okay, I need some new hangers. Let's go to target. And I was in the city center. There's a target. And they, I went to the hanger section and they had the plastic hangers, but they only had them in the color black. And it's silly. It doesn't really matter, but I want all my hangers to match. And so I'm like, okay, I won't get those black hangers. They had white hangers, but those hangers were for children's clothes. So they were very small. And I'm like, you know, I have bigger problems. I'll look into it later. I did look into it later. I went to Target Australia's website. They don't sell white plastic hangers. They sell the exact same hangers I have in black. I'm like, okay, let's look at Ikea. Same thing. Ikea Australia only has black plastic hangers. I went to every store I could think of. Every single store I could think of that might sell hangers, I looked at, and they all had black plastic hangers, and the only white hangers were for children's clothes. Do children's clothes to... come in only white? Only white, yeah. They don't have so you black. you can't get black 
children singers. No, only white. So I went to Amazon, which I'm loath to do. I don't want to use Amazon, especially now that I'm here. Um, I've canceled my prime. I have this thing. I'm like not going to do it. But I went to Amazon Australia. And again, the only hangers that were like from local areas were black. I finally did find giant packs of white hangers that were reasonably priced, not as cheap as Target. They were like maybe $3 a hanger, which is actually very expensive for hangers. But at this point I was desperate. So I'm like, okay, here's a pack of 60 hangers. I will buy it. And the shipping cost was $200. More than the hangers then. Yes, much more than the hangers because they were coming from the US. The only hangers I could find were being shipped from the US. So this is a very long and very boring story, but I do not understand this difference. And it does feel like, you know, how that when you flush the toilet, the water goes the different way. I don't want to like be like, Australia is so different. It's not that different. There are great things I love about it that are different. But why do you think they don't have adult white plastic hangers? Why does everyone want their hangers to be black here? So why not have the choice? And yet, and the children's clothes are white. I don't understand. So I realize that I've fallen into a problem-solving mode that is probably not the point of this story. But, <laughs> but I mean, you've known me long enough by now to know I can't, I can't help it. That's just, that's just how I operate, right? So how many white plastic hangers did you pack? I would say, think of like a big, tall shipping box, cardboard box. I pack two of those. So probably, I mean, it's a lot of hangers. This conversation gets embarrassing for me about how many clothes I own, which is too many. I mean, it just seems like it might just be more economical to just switch to all black hangers, right? Yes. Well, uh, that's (laughs) maybe not. Oh gosh. Okay. So I do have a lot of white hangers. We're talking so you need you need to send me the dimensions of the box and the dimension of the hangers and all of the prices and I'll make it a uh, a word problem for the homeschool kids so that we can find out what Ooh, your best options are. Catherine, Catherine has this many white hangers. She needs to replace them. I will count my hangers. If anyone is interested in how many white plastic hangers I have, this can be like a game, like a jelly bean in a jar game, and I'll come back to you next week and tell you how well, many I have. Or another option here is that every time someone visits you from the United States, you can. Like- <laughs> But if they want to stay, <laughs> that's the thing. Oh, I won't. Think. I won't reveal it on the podcast. I'll open my closet room. I'll say you get three seconds to look. Close it. How many hangers? How many hangers are in there? Um, I love that. I love that so much. The other thing isn't even the price. It's um that I have now hung up all my clothes and arranged them, and I am tired, and I do not want to take them all down. Oh, um. Yeah. So but I it think could be, answer... it could be a process. It doesn't have to be done today it could be like um since one of the things is i'm like i have too many clothes it could be like when they say like turn your hangers over anything that's still on white plastic hangers it means you didn't wear it yeah that could be cool i like that thank you for problem solving you're welcome now it's it's the only mode i have i know that most people hate it i'm sorry (laughs) oh i i yeah i'm the same way yeah um but yeah that doesn't answer the question of just like why why is there that difference that people it's obviously like I think people prefer that maybe. Mm, I mean, maybe it must just... just be. I I wonder if it's just something simple like wherever they're manufactured and whatever shipping agreement they have, it was just easier to only have one. Co- but it. But then the fact that all the children's hangers are white 
is that they that's have more interesting the white plastic yeah. they have yeah. it um just but i think you. we have to go with the goats and say like sometimes there's not a reason sometimes there's not I, a reason i also now that i'm embarrassing myself anyway i have to say the targets here are they're not individual standalone stores like you have um in the u.s they're in shopping centers like most things here like grocery stores and everything are just within larger shopping centers and so you're like in kind of a mall and there's a target which i always find very fun but they're not i recently have gotten into i had a car i lived in north carolina and i fell into that trap of like i'm gonna drive to target and get something which a lot of people knew and it was one of like, it was like a flagship Target I lived near and they were testing new products. And I really got into like going to the Target and just wandering around and not buying anything and doing that with my time. And I got to the Target in Australia and it looks like a Kmart from 1995. And it's a little sad compared to bright, shiny US Target that has everything in the world you would want in it. And I'm just like, oh, I'm not going to wander around and buy shit I don't need here. And I hate to admit that I sadly thought it's a lot harder to love capitalism and be a consumer <laughs> in this country. But then I immediately went, like, that's, oh, that's a good thing. That's the point. <laughs> that's, a, that's one of the reasons I moved here. Yeah. And so I think I'm just in a withdrawal stage. I'm just, you know, detoxing. Yeah, yeah. Detox and- from the shiny... yeah i'll be fine our our target has done this thing where like everything is set up like some fancy like one of those the really expensive stores where like each item has a pedestal and i'm like how am i supposed to buy it though like what (laughs) yeah so that's it that's my only weird thing um that's all hangers 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 it is a very weird thing i'm gonna i'm I'm curious if there is a reason now it's going to take up probably not 25%, but at least a sliver of my brain power. I did a, my Google search history is like, why no white hangers? Why no adult white hangers in Australia? Why only black hangers Google's in like, Australia? what are you talking about? ChatGPT will give you an answer. It won't be based in facts or accuracy, but maybe that'll be oh. enough to like just some bomb for the part of your brain that wants to know. Exactly, right? Oh, that's scary, though, that that is. That's something that ChatGP can can do. Just make up an answer. All right. Well, I did see today. Sorry to go off topic. Someone was like told ChatGPT, write a Bible passage that justifies. I saw it. It was so touching and well written. Right. Right. That says like transgender. um, It's all right to be transgender. And says like says that's fine. And it was it was so touching and it was well done. And it also was just like, it made sense. Yeah, like, no, like, it made New sense Testament. with like, yeah. Yep. It was really nice. So chat, so that balm, right? So if yeah. we can say like, it's not true, but it can be a balm to kind of relieve things. Which I then, I mean, but isn't like you mentioned a Bible because don't we turn to like mythology and beliefs? It's the new Bible. <laughs> oh, no, chat, To answer hard questions that we can't find the answer to. It's not. We've always been comparing it to calculators. It's not. It's a Bible. Okay. I can wrap my head around that. Mm. Michelle can't. It's going to take some more time for me. <laughs> I like it. I'm like, cool. Love it. And you're like, <laughs> okay. All right. Pop, Pop culture. culture.
my pop culture thing. Have you heard of a game called Pikmin? Yes. Why? <laughs> do they have flowers coming? They out do. They do. They're little like little flower people. Okay. I don't even know why I bought this game. It was just we've been playing Zelda, um, the new Zelda on Switch, and there was a new Pikmin Four coming out. I have never played any of the previous Pikmins, and I was like, I I want this. I don't know. Like, I just this we need we, we haven't gotten a Switch game in a long time, and like the Switch was an investment, and I want something that makes it you know feel fresh and interesting. This looks good. I got it, and it is this. I, you know what? I'm I'm gonna just like play the. I'm gonna I'm gonna play the little like ad for it so that you can see what I'm talking about. It's just nice. It's almost Lemmings like. If yeah, anyone remembers yeah. the old game, the old old computer game Lemmings, but it's it's a lot of cute creatures that have flowers coming out of their heads. So those little creatures, the the story here is that you are this teeny tiny little thing, humanoid thing that has crashed on this island. So you can see like the tires in the background are like mountain sized compared to you, and you gather and plant these different varieties of Pikmin, and then you, they are basically your minions that you literally throw onto things to make them complete tasks before you move on to the next one. And so the big concept here that I want to talk about is the concept of Dandori. So when they said it, they were using it so with so much confidence that I thought that maybe it was like an actual philosophy that I hadn't heard of that this game like started with, but no, it, it was created, it is a concept that is created within the game. So Dandori, as explained by Pikmin 4, is the ability to organize tasks strategically and work effectively to execute plans. And so the whole point of, yeah, yeah, the whole point. I'm making a face. I'm like, ooh, so if this is a self-help book waiting to be done. <laughs> the whole point of Pikmin 4 is that you're supposed to get your little Pikmin army you have to, once you have different varieties of them, some of them are better at some tasks than others. So you have to choose what number go into your total because there's like a cap for how many you can have. So right now I have blue ones, red ones, and yellow ones. And yellow ones you can throw higher than other ones. So they can get up to taller things than you than the other ones. Red ones are heat resistant. So they can go on lava blocks and knock them out to get you for places that are blocked by lava. And blue ones can freeze water so that you can, um, if you throw enough of them in there, they will freeze the water. And then they're just stuck in the water until you recall them. And there's their little heads sticking out so that you can walk against the water and then you recall them and then the water melts. Um, and so, and then there's all this stuff all over the world. So the world that you're in, all the different maps that you go to. And so you run around on a dog that you also command, um, throwing your Pikmin at different things. 
And you have to like strategically look at, well, how many Pikmin is it going to take to do that? And like, sometimes it'll be like, okay, it takes this many Pikmin to execute this task. But then once they finish it, it's going to take even more to carry it back to home base or whatever. But if you just stand there and watch them, then you are going to waste all your time, right? So the Dandori part is knowing which task to do in which order and when to circle back to go back and regroup or call your Pikmin back to you. And then there's like these upgrades you can buy with the with the stuff that you've earned through playing the game. That's like a little counter to tell you how many Pikmin are standing idle or like this. So it's I it is somewhat anxiety inducing because it is yeah. it's such a focus focus on efficiency. And um, you know we've talked about that before. Like the this I mean you just mentioned capitalism with your target experience that there's this yeah. capitalist notion of efficiency that can be extremely toxic right this this idea of that every second of your day has to be packed with the most efficient way through it and um and then i mean i guess if you took and we've even talked about before right about like what does what activities count most of them are serving capital or like right like tv watching tv doesn't count reading books counts blah 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 yeah and like in this case i mean these are they're completely literally expendable because your pikmin can get killed and you just go to a flower and grow new ones so if you were going to carry it out as a metaphor for capitalistic efficiency it's certainly disturbing right but it's also just a lot of fun to play so <laughs> it I seems very sad <laughs> it seems like one of those it's those various things that are very anxiety inducing and satisfying at the same time somehow. yeah yeah it's exactly what it is and um you can play a head-to-head -head dandori battle so that's what my daughter and i have been doing um we're pretty evenly matched in our dandori skills so it and it is insane like if somebody just walked by watching two people do that it's you can like you can grab traps to like set for the other person and you can steal from each other. If you have more Pikmin than they do trying to do complete a certain task, it'll like show you like there's 11 blue ones and 10 red ones. So it's going closer to blue, but Oh no, they threw another red one on. Like, so it'll just be nowhere until somebody puts more. And it's just, I don't know. So I guess my pop culture thing in general is Pikmin 4 as a concept and this use of Dandori as a guiding principle to create a game and where that maps on to sort of like toxic efficiency narratives, Yeah. but also like is playing a game that I find relaxing and fun. That's the opposite of toxic yeah. efficiency narratives, right? Like this is my break. I'm not being efficient in my real life in any way while I'm doing this. And so I just find, I find that tension really interesting. And that is, that is it, my pop culture thing. It seems like the evolution of, and we both have been talking a lot about how we feel like we're just spinning our wheels stuck in the mud. Like we do so much work and we feel like we're not getting much done these days. And so that feels a very satisfying as a counter to that. But it does feel like an evolution of the games like um like Diner Dash, all those like iPhone games yes. they had where it's like make all the pizzas or the I really, really liked early in the day. Um, there was like a spa one, but you're a worker running around, but you're controlling the worker, right? And telling them do these things in these order. And the way you win the game is knowing what order is the most efficient to do it fastest. And it's so weird that a game gave that a name a and a philosophy, philosophy. well of one of our other favorite games on the switch is called overcooked 
and you are yes like, we played that, that yeah was yeah that, yeah where you just scream like, at each other but like with love <laughs> like you you need to be chopping the pizza <laughs> <I'm> t- <laughs> that's one of those games where because i don't have good spatial reasoning and video games i get stuck in a corner or everyone hated me when we played that game and you've never i noticed we played that once and we and you and your family and my partner and I have never played that game with me again because my big mistake is there are certain games where I cannot tell who I am and in that game I kept thinking I was someone else and I was doing doing so well and everyone was yelling at me I'm like but I'm doing it and I was just a different (laughs) avatar and I was standing in the corner bobbing Uh, uh, which makes me think of like the the what I wanted to do for my pop culture was um the NPC trend on TikTok where people are non-player characters, but it's been so long since that started that I'm not, I moved on, but it makes me think of that. Right. Cause that's kind of the opposite of this, of Dan Dory. What would be the opposite yes. of Dan Dory would be, be an NPC. I'm just going to, I'm just vibing. Yeah. I don't have to do anything. I'm thinking, sorry. I'm just thinking about like how you can write a self-help book called the art of Dan Dory. The or art something. of Dan Dory. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure you could just yeah reach out to Pikmin, reach out to the game producers, and be like, "Look, I have powerful ghostwriting skills. So if you want, we're just gonna make this a thing. Look at all these business ideas we're having. Um, uric uric acid rock candy, Tandoori, (laughs) self help books. It's a gold mine over here. Okay, on the 27th of July, Beetle Bob died. R.I.P. Beetle Bob. So you know who Beetle Bob is. I do know who Beetle Bob is. You're from St. Louis. It makes sense. Um, For those of you who don't know, my pop culture is going to be about Beetle Bob. Um, Last Christmas, I was driving in the car with my spouse and we were talking because we were in St. Louis. And so we were talking about St. Louis things, right? Like, what does St. Louis have? And I went to college there, as did you. And... um, I was talking about how I was like, I don't know if this is real or if this is a fever dream, but there was a man named Beetle Bob who went to concerts and danced and that was his job. And he looked like a beetle. He had a beetle haircut and he dressed in like a mouse suit and that was his whole, a narrow, narrow suit. What, what are those suits called? But like a beetle suit. Um, and he danced and that was his job. And you knew you were at a cool concert if Beetle Bob was there. And I said, I don't know if this is real. And my husband said, that is real. That's in a music video of Guided by Voices that I loved when I was younger. But I thought they made him up. What? So, and they put Beetle Bob in a music video. And he's the star of the music video. Um, It's called My Kind of Soldier. And I'll link to it in the show notes. And it's basically like, this man is... This is Beetle Bob. He loves to dance. He lives in St. Louis. But my husband thought that they made him up for the music video. I thought he was a fever dream. That's the energy Beetle Bob had in the world of just being like, there's no way. There's no way. Before I get nostalgic about my memories of Beetle Bob, I will say, who is he? His um, given name was Robert Matonis. And he was born in 1953 in St. Louis and lived in St. Louis his whole life and it is very funny how he got the nickname Beetle Bob he got that as a child in middle school 
Um, he went to a school called Mount Providence in St. Louis, which later became part of UMSL. And one day during sixth grade, it was a it was a Catholic school, so there were nuns there, and one of his teachers was a nun. So during class, he was reading a Beatles magazine hidden within his textbook, and a nun caught him. And she took the magazine and said, that's enough of that, Beetle Bob. <laughs> and the name stuck forever and ever. And he's Beetle Bob. And so, yeah, his whole thing was in the St. Louis area. He did become pretty famous. He was in music videos. He would go to music festivals. There were some bands that really liked him and would ask him to dance on stage with them at festivals or introduce him. He did a lot with the Flaming Lips and other bands. But... In the St. Louis area, he definitely just was this interesting personality. And some people thought he was like a tastemaker. Um, there's a local St. Louis musician who said, quote, there's a saying that if Beetle Bob is there, you're at the right show. So there was a moment where he was just cool. And that was that. Um, and he, Beetle Bob, claims to have been to at least one live show every night of his life since Christmas Eve, 1996. And he did that through till January 23rd, 2023. So from 1996 to 2023, he said he stopped for every night. He stopped for 85 nights in 2020 because of COVID. But other than that, every night. And it was he announced in January of 2023 that he was going to stop because he had ALS. And so he said he's seen over 10,000 bands and he kept a dance diary. And you might ask for someone who's seen 10 over 10,000 bands and been to a show every night of their life from 1996 till 2023, almost 30 years. Um, what was his favorite concert? And he says his favorite concert was James Brown and the Famous Flames at the Keel Auditorium in St. Louis in 1968. Wow. Yeah. And he would have been um, 15 at that show. So the best show of his life, 15. I mean, isn't isn't the best music of your life always at 15? Like, isn't there just, you know, like. Absolutely. I just, I don't know. I feel like the best music of your life finds you at 15. That's just how it, that's just how it is. I love that. I love that because it's very true. It finds you and it finds you and you need it. You need it the most. You need music yeah. the most at that age. Um, you can't drive so, yet, but you. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm just thinking about like. You just sit in your oh, room 15. and listen to music. Oh, oh. What do you, what do you have a band that's standing out to you from 15? Well, we talked about this some because oh, I we did, did the. the um. 60 songs that define the nineties. Um, and yeah. so I think Everclear was definitely like a, like a band that yeah. like hit me at 15 in all like, just get, like that melodrama, but with some, with some wit in like just exactly the right doses that I needed. Um, yeah. I remember we were listening to, to hole around that age and that was definitely so scratching perfect. an itch. Yeah. So I, so I do have some personal memories of Beetle Bob and it's kind of a rite of passage. I think if you grew up in St. Louis at a certain time to say that you had been kicked or punched by Beetle Bob, because his style of dancing was he'd flail wildly and kind of do cool guy dancing. And I, in my last year of college, lived on the street, which you now live 
very close to in Tower Grove Park. And I had like my own apartment for the first time. And I would go out to all the little um, bars and dance music places along in the area, like almost every night because I was in college. And um, one of them was called CBGB's. It was not the CBGB's. Of course it wasn't. But I loved it. And I went to CBGB's most nights. And it's still there. when Beetle Bob was there. And I have been. It's still there. It's still there. <gasps> Lasted longer than the real CBGB's. Um, and I just have such great memories of being there and being like, yes, I wasn't legally old enough to drink. But it had the best bathroom. It had a bathroom that just had two toilets facing each other. And me and my friend, um, Jeff, shout out to buddy Jeff McDevitt. We'd both go in there and have long talks and just sit on the toilets when it got too loud. And a lot of good memories. Um, and they would just sell you like a giant tub of Sprite and vodka or a giant tub of Bud Light out of like a metal bucket that you would drink with a straw. But anyway, that's my memories of Beetle Bob. And you knew. You knew that the band that was playing was probably going to be really cool if he was there that night and everyone would get very excited. Oh, Beetle Bob is here. Um, so yeah, it, it he meant a lot to me and he was not a fever dream or a drunken hallucination from my college days. I do have to say that not everyone loved Beetle Bob. He had some issues. People said he did get too aggressive. This like punching you in the head accidentally, not cool. He would butt his way up to the front um, he did Including not pay through, for shows through like children at some of the like yes. festivals. <laughs> yes, he was not good. He would he he was entitled. He was Beetle Bob, and he felt that, and he felt entitled. He would push through whoever. It didn't matter. Um, he did not pay to go to shows, which that made some artists really mad. That like we are small. Some bands were big, but some were small. And they're like we need this money. Um, there was a whole website set up by local music fans called beetlebobsitdown.com where you could just go complain about beetlebob ruining a show for you um and yeah it was like he always shows up late he gets into shows for free he pushes through the crowd he ruins shows by like dancing and being distracting and people purported that he would steal things a lot oh i had not heard that like yeah somebody on sit down beetlebob a lot of people but one quote i have is um, someone saying, I've personally seen him steal things from show patrons and from bands. Once I went to a show, saw him walk to the back of the venue or some kid has set his jacket, drape it over his arm and walk out. So um, not a perfect guy, Beetle Bob, and had some problems and maybe was a thief. But he also was legend. an important legend. I also, his death made me think of... Another person who brought me more joy than Beetle Bob because Beetle Bob was cool, but he punched you in the head and whatever. But there was a different St. Louis Bob, I don't know if you remember, that genuinely brought joy to me whenever you saw him. Do you remember Baton Bob? Baton Bob? No. No. Oh my gosh. Baton Bob was better than Beetle Bob, in my opinion. Um, so Baton Bob was another St. Louis Bob. I don't know what it is about St. Louis having interesting eclectic bobs but baton bob was a man who in his youth much like beetle bob this was formed in his youth was told to do something that brought him joy and he joined his like high school what is that called where flags? you do batons like and the, stuff. the flag team flag corps and he did 
flight corps and he did baton and he was so good at it that no one really gave him shit because he was just excellent at baton. So he was a very good batonist. He became a flight attendant when he grew up as an adult and he worked as a flight attendant and then um, was laid off after 9-11 and also said just didn't really want to do that anymore after 9-11 and wanted to find a way to bring people joy after 9-11. And so he would wear outlandish outfits. He would have his baton, dress in tutus or wedding dresses. And I just have this memory of being, again, college age, driving my very first car. Well, yeah, my old beat up Volkswagen car through San Francisco. I remember that car. It was a great car. I love it. Um, and, And driving and on the steps of like... The Basilica? The Basilica, the Basilica, the St. Louis Basilica. I drove, drove by the St. Louis Basilica and Baton Bob was just floating down the stairs in a giant wedding dress. And that is just a core memory that, oh, it's just in my head. And sometimes when I'm sad, I still think of that. So I do want to mention Baton Bob and Baton Bob, but because we can't have nice things in St. Louis, had a lot of run-ins with the police who were just really unfair to him and um, got harassed by people and moved to Atlanta in late 2003. And maybe that's why you don't know. Yeah, that's why. Because by the time you were in St. Louis, he was in Atlanta. So he's in Atlanta. He's happily married and he still is wearing fun clothes and batoning around Atlanta. So that made me really happy. Be happy. Yeah. So the bobs. Okay. The bobs. The bobs. Shall we do research? Research thing. All right. I'm going to start by asking you a question. How old do you think crossword puzzles are? Oh. Okay. I want to think about this seriously. I also, I laughed because lately, did you know, every time I say, did you know, I think of your son, did you know (laughs) that um, that Hallmark, Hallmark Hallmark Movies and Mysteries has its own series called The Crossword Murders and Will Shorts, Will Shorts, the New York Times. I'm about to talk about Will Shorts. I'm about to tell you all about Will Shorts. He is the producer of this Hallmark movie series. And this... in every single one, he is in it. Like Hitchcock in his films, Will Shorts shows up as like a background character with one line in every one of these. And it is totally his fantasy. Lacey Chabert, who's a Hallmark star, is clearly Will Shorts is living out his fantasy of if he solved crimes. If Will Shorts was Murder, She Wrote... It would That's be this. It's so good. So sorry to interrupt, but um, I've been watching that nonstop. So I am going to say, because of that knowledge, crossword puzzles are started in the 1700s. They started in 1913, which is a lot younger than I thought. I, I was surprised so by younger. how, yeah, yeah, I expected them to be older too. 
So they were going to say no, much older, much, much older. No. So they were invented by the then editor of the New York Sunday world. His name was Arthur Wynn. He invented it in 1913, but it wasn't quite the ones we know today. There weren't any black squares. It was like diamond shaped. Um, They were moderately successful. The person that we really have to thank for the crossword puzzle as we know it today is a woman named Margaret. I hope I'm pronouncing her last name right. Farrar, F-A-R-R-A-R. Um, so she was working on the crossword puzzles, um, like the ones that Arthur Wynne was doing. She and some other women at the time, her name was Miss Petherbridge because she was, that was her maiden name. She later married a, um, editor. And so she got even more involved in the editorial world. Um, but who did there she is... marry? Do you, did you research who that yes. Ferrar is? Yes. Because there's a very famous you know, Ferrar... publishing house called Ferrar and Strauss. Um, she married John. I married the publisher, John Ferrar. So it is that Ferrar. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. That's did... like a big public. That's cool. That linkage. So she, um, it, she's the one who kind of like, changed the title around they were originally called like word crosses and she made it a crossword and like changed the (laughs) the way that they function um and in 1924 simon and schuster um in 1924 simon and schuster were launching their would-be publication company and they approached then miss petherbridge and asked if she would put together a book of some of the like rejected puzzles from the new york sunday world into a collection for them to publish but then they got really nervous about it and they were like what if this is a flop we don't want our first thing to be a flop so they published it under an alias um i learned all of this in a 1959 new yorker magazine article that was published for the 35th anniversary of crossword puzzle craze so um so the 1920s is when they really saw their popularity they were they put it out under an alias. They didn't want to have to take responsibility for it if it flopped, but they did take it seriously. They published it with a sharpened pencil. So it was packaged in a book with a sharpened pencil with it. Uh, and they it, it sold very well. They went on to commission multiple other books in the series with her. And then um, she became an editor She became an editor, so she did puzzle creation for a long time and editing, um, but then she had children, and children, as <laughs> heard the pause, because my own child had to come. Yeah, I'm going to keep that pause in, because yes, <laughs> you just had a child come in, that was good timing. <laughs> so, um, the, she gave up the creation part and really just stuck with editing, um, landing at the New York Times, which launched launched its Sunday crosswords in 1942 and daily crosswords in 1950. At the time of the New Yorker article publication, which again was 1959, the New York Times was paying $10 for a daily and $25 for a Sunday. And they took submissions from freelance writers of all stripes for their crossword puzzles. That's how they get so many to be able to put them out every day. Regular contributors included high school principals. There was a famous actress who contributed a lot. And a lot of the contributors were actually penitentiary inmates because they had Uh 
lot of time, time to, to do it. Yeah. To work on crossword puzzles. Um, and some just some facts about the New York Times crossword puzzle and the general American like conventions of crossword puzzles. It's distinguished from the British norms because the British crossword puzzles allowed unkeyed letters, which are letters that can only be answered in what like some of the letters can only be answered with one clue in one direction. So you don't have any cross references to check them, um, which is Boo. not. That's... It's a lot. It's a lot easier to write an unkeyed crossword, but it is a lot harder to solve one. And so the American strategy favors it being more, more challenging to write, but easier to solve because if you don't know it one way, you can always check another direction. Um, the as you mentioned, the current main crossword editor at the New York Times is Will Shorts, who was born and raised on an Arabian horse farm farm in Indiana which I find interesting. That I did not know. I know he made his own major up with puzzle he solving. He did make up his own major, major <laughs> because he, when he was in eighth grade, he wrote a paper called Puzzles as a Profession. So he was just dedicated to it. And then he went to so Indiana, cool. some university in Indiana that allowed like a multidisciplinary, like create your own major. And he did, yes, he made up a major on puzzles. Then he went to law school and got a JD but he never set for the bar because he went and started working on puzzles instead. Um, so he also has what is reportedly the world's largest private collection of puzzle books and magazines with some dating Ooh. back to 1545 with more than 20,000 items in his personal collection. Uh, he, in addition to being the main crossword editor for the New York times to this day is also the puzzle master on weekend edition Sunday on NPR. And oh, apparently creator that's my of favorite creator of the puzzle the sunday movies. puzzle yes he is the producer of crossword murders <laughs> <laughs> um i learned all of this because my husband and i have been doing the crossword the new york times crossword puzzle every day like even when he has to travel we'll call at each other and do it over the phone oh. and we like so we race and so like mondays and tuesdays and wednesdays are usually a race and then thursdays we start separately and then work together because we can't usually can't get it alone and then like that's true for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday. It's just kind of a grab bag. Um, and that is because, in case you are not as nerdy as me, I'm sorry, um, the Monday puzzle is the easiest and the Saturday puzzle is the most difficult. The Sunday puzzle is larger, but it should have the difficulty of around a Wednesday puzzle if you want to have a chance of getting it purchased. You and if like you're you nerdy like if you're nerdy like me... You know lines of dialogue Will Shorts has written for Hallmark in which Lacey Chabert says to her love interest, you know, I thought you were a Monday puzzle, but you're a Saturday puzzle. <laughs> Wait, it's better to be? Wait, she which, likes which the Saturday. She oh, okay. wants the Saturday okay. puzzle. Yeah, okay. it's good. Okay. It's good. It, I thought she it was thought like a breakup was... line. I was like, wait, no. No, no, no. Okay. It's as she falls deeper in love. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> So I was really fascinated to learn while reading this 1959 article that the requirements for a daily New York Times puzzle and also the Sundays, but I'm just gonna talk about the dailies because it's easier to not have to give you two sets of numbers you probably don't care that much about. Um, the dailies at the New York Times, the requirements are still pretty much the same as they were in 1959. The New York, today's New York dailies are on a 15 by 15 grid 
you are required to have rotational symmetry, which means that if you flipped it 180 degrees, the little black squares have to be in the exact same spot. Okay. You almost always need to start with a theme if you were going to submit a puzzle to the New York Times. Um, there are some themeless ones, but uh, you're not very likely to get picked if it's like your first puzzle. If it's themeless, you'd have to be doing something pretty cool. It, there is a maximum word count of 78 it or 72 if it is themeless so if it's themeless you need longer words in order to make it more challenging um but clues need length balance around the theme which i learned when i watched videos about how to lay out a grid and they must be at least three letters long they also must all have the um what what are they there must be no unkeyed letters you must be able to solve them both down and across to get Take that, Brits. Take that, British <laughs> crosswords. So I found all this out because I was researching how to write a crossword puzzle because I just have been having a lot of fun doing these. And some of them are obviously better than others. Like some of them are oh, just yeah. like, you can just... I just want to step in. I want to step in and I love Will Shorts more than anything. And one of the highlights of my whole life is the Sunday puzzle. Um, again, not to be nostalgic, but when I worked at Urban Outfitters and I hated that job, and I always work Sundays and my shift started right after the Sunday puzzle and NPR. And I would sit in my car and listen to the Sunday puzzle. And that got me through the day. <laughs> and that was just like, okay, I can do this. I can go work retail and listen to like spoiled teens yell at their mothers for seven hours. Um, and it, yeah. And I've, and I've already tried to figure out a way like the time, the timing, so I can still listen to it in Australia. And, um, but I will say, sorry, Will Shorts, I think the New Yorker crossword puzzles are far superior to the New York Times crossword puzzles. I do enjoy, I do enjoy the New Yorker crossword puzzles. Um, but they're, they don't need them as often, right? Cause like they're not, they, it's not that's a no, daily situation. Every, so it's only, and not even every New Yorker has one in the back. Yeah. But, um, so I, we save them up and yeah, as you know, we do them on vacation sometimes because I save them up for that. And my husband, when we lived apart, would um tear them out whenever he finished a New Yorker and mail them to me in a card. Aww. And it was just like that's love. Like that was our version of you doing the crossword yeah. together was he yeah. would let me do it alone. Oh, <laughs> that was really sweet. Well, I really enjoyed yesterday's puzzle, which was by um, Barbara Lynn. And it was just it was just clever and fun. And really, it's the Wednesday, August 2nd. For those of you who are listening to this, that isn't today. Um, the Wednesday, August 2nd New York Times puzzle is by Barbara Lynn and edited by Will Shorts. And I just thought it was a really good example of like a fun I enjoyed it because I was watching like what makes a good puzzle. And they're like, you have to make the person feel smart, right? Like it can't feel too easy or they're like, why am I doing this? And if it's too hard, then they're not going to finish it or they're going to feel frustrated. You you have to hit that sweet spot of like, oh, I'm clever. I figured something out like and they want an aha moment. And I just felt like yesterday's puzzle did a really good job of that. Um, I was also interested because I just like I was like, I'm really good with words. I, I love words. I um, love like puns and wordplay. I was like, I think I could write crossword puzzles. And so I wanted to learn more about how to actually get involved with doing it. Uh, you can make money off of it. The current New York Times rates is $500 for a daily and $1,500 for a Sunday. 
If you've published three or more, you get seven hundred and fifty for a daily and twenty two fifty for a Sunday. So it's, that's it's, much better than I would have thought. Wow. Um, but it's really hard to make a crossword. <laughs> so <laughs> I keep coming up with what I think are like decent themes with decent like good clues that have a have a witty theme, but it's not. Like, I thought the words part would be the hardest, but the grid is the hardest, at least for me. Now, maybe that's because I'm not a very spatial thinker. But so I read the New York Times series. They have oh, a no, series. that's your downfall of spatial reasoning. No, they have a series oh. on how to make a crossword. And it's a five part series. And they kind of take you through the steps in the order that you should do it. And they say, you know, first, you have to come up with your theme and you have to come up with words that match like if you have like a 13 word one, you can put that right in the middle, but then you're going to need like an 11 word one and then another 11 word one. And they're going to have to like balance each other out. Cause you have to keep that symmetry for the, for where the black boxes go. Cause anytime you put them like at the end of one word, they're going to go at the other. So you have to like, you have to create them with balance. And then, um, then what you have to do is figure out where you're going to put your black boxes because you don't want too many like long words. You have to figure out like, oh, where do I have a like cue buried or where is it going to be too difficult? And I can break those up. I was like, how do people do this? And so I found that there is a website called One Look where you can type in exactly what you like type in. Like if you need a word that starts with an M and is six letters long and ends with a T, you can type in like M asterisk, asterisk, asterisk T and it'll give you a whole list of words that fit that oh. and there is software that because i'm such a thorough researcher for our research thing i purchased this app called crossfire you had to you i had, had to. to i had to that i'm, I'm going to show you i'm going to show you this app as you set that up i look i'm just going to say i look forward to the day when i get to do a crossword puzzle by you uh-huh. and now i'm putting up pressure on you yeah i like your faith in me it might be um might not be a good idea to have it but i appreciate it all right so here is can you see that yes okay so here is my grid so like oh <laughs> sorry i'm already Michelle, messing it up michelle's already messed it up congratulations congratulations <laughs> okay so if i wanted that to go across is that even the middle One, two, three. what could fit here okay so then if i want to put like a black one here see how it's going to already put one there and like, I'm going to have to have one here. So now, so it's already oh. showing me like, this is where this word can go. And it's yelling at me. This red is, look, this can't make a word. So as you're going, it's telling you the whole time, like no words go here. And it's just, I don't know. You're just watching your possibilities dwindle with every, every move you make. You're like, oh, they're taking more away from me. Do you think maybe you could harness the philosophy of Dandori? Dandori to help me with this crossword (laughs) puzzle? I'm sure there is a way. I am. What color Pikmin? What color Pikmin can you throw at this? (laughs) All of them. (laughs) Rainbow. So, um, and I also thought it was really interesting because I would have thought that the difficulty would be be about the words but the difficulty is really about the clues because they are like you know fill in your grid first and then look at are you submitting for a monday puzzle are you submitting for a wednesday puzzle do you want it to be hard do you want it to be easy but you already have the words chosen by then and then you go back through and pick the clues Uh. you could have an easier clue or a harder clue to get to the same word and that's where the difficulty and i wouldn't have thought that i would have thought the difficulty would have been 
in choosing the words more than the clues. Absolutely. So we're doing cart and horse. What were some themes that you had in mind that you were playing with? Oh, I was playing around with like, um, like compound words that have like a homophone in them so that you could be like, uh, like rainstorm, but make it like, you know, like a king's rain instead of rain or um, I don't remember what the other ones were now, but that I was playing around with that. Um, and I think I understand the symmetry thing better now. So maybe I, I've, I've got like a document with just a list of my themes that go together. So maybe I can do you go feel back like the more you, the more you do it, the better you get it. It's like a practice thing and you can like train your brain to just, I hope so. Of, I hope so. Learn to think in that way. Yeah. That's my goal. Um, do you know what Will Schwartz's favorite crossword that ever ran in the New York times was? I do not. At least in the last time, in, in an interview, I heard this might have changed um, when um, it was the Bill Clinton, Bob Dole presidential election, the crossword, one of the clues was um, tomorrow's presidential winner. And it worked in such a way that it could be either Clinton or Bob Dole. And it worked for either one. Because it made different words. Oh, wow. Wow. But it's the same. If you do Clinton and Bob Dole, it's the same amount of letters. And I thought that was cool. That is really, that would take a lot of ingenuity. If you ever make one, please send it to me because I would love to do it. I will. It's it's going to happen. I don't know. And if you ever just need to let your brain completely go slack and limp, watch the crossword murders because they're great. (laughs) Um, and Will Shorts is having such a good time in them. You can tell. I, that is what I, I think I've told you before that like my drug of choice is watching people love what they do. Like I just, yes. I love it. Like I, I will watch people do things that I don't care about at all. If I can just tell that they love it. Like it just it feels so good to watch somebody love what they do. Yeah. Just, and yeah, this is knowing that he created like that niche for himself. He made that major. He said, I want to do this job. And he created that job. My research, do you know what I have newt is? Mm-mm. Okay, good, good, good. Okay, at least this will be interesting then. <laughs> um, so I have newt, and I think it gained most popularity. People know about I have newt as like an a witchy ingredient, yes, right? Yes, that's I mean, I could have said that, but I assumed that wasn't, you know, right. the end of You're the like, oh. It's the it's a newt's eye that witches put in, in potions. potions in a cauldron. Right. Clearly, well, and that's, it. that's it. That's it. I learned her. about that this week. That's cool. It. That's all. I'm done. I'm glad Bye. you've heard about no. that. I'm glad you gave me enough credit to know that's that was not the yes. end. Yes. So, um, I tried to find out like where the term "eye of newt" as it stands because I learned this interesting fact about it, but then I wanted to make it my research thing where that like first became popularized because it. It does go way back, but um, in, in like culture, most people refer to Macbeth, Shakespeare's Macbeth. That's what I, weird I, sisters. Yeah, I thought about it as, yes. Yeah, they have um, filet of a fenny snake and the cauldron boil and bake, eye of newt and toe of frog, wool of bat and tongue of dog, adder's fork and blind worm sting, lizard's leg and owlet's wing, for a charm of powerful trouble like a hell broth boil and bubble. So eye of newt is mustard seeds, it's mustard Aww. seed, vegetal witchcraft that people who do, who use herbs and plants medicinally or for witchcraft or whatever, um, call mustard seed is eye of newt. And so it was interesting 
I just was like, whoa, that's so banal, but so cool that you can go around in your pantry and be like, I have Newt. I'm this eating I have, I Newt. have Newt. Yeah. 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 Because it's a very accessible thing, like mustard seeds, I feel. If you're interested, that's kind of the case for all of those things in that Shakespeare. The, ho- the whole list is real, just like. Yeah. Yeah. So seasoning. Toa Frog. Toa Frog is um, ranunculus or buttercup flowers. Wool of Bat is um, moss. Yeah, all of those things. I won't go through the whole list because my research is very mustard seed. I have new focus. Okay. But okay. I don't do want to take you off. That, of um, do we know no. what they were making? Like, can we can we put together the ingredients from the list? Right? That's a very good question. And I get into that a little bit. Um, So I did look into like what might all of this together make and why was Shakespeare writing about this? Why did he put this list together? How did he know about this? Where do the weird sisters come from? Um, mustard seed within culture. That's, it's a grab bag, but it all stems from Eye of Newt. That I, I'm going to say Eye of Newt is my research thing today. So mustard seeds themselves, most widely within magic, um, particularly black magic, which I think we can say the weird sisters in Macbeth were taking part in black magic, Um, They cast a spell of strife, confusion, discord, and disruption. But there are other types of mustard seeds. Other colors of mustard seeds are thought to do other things. And one of the most commonly thought things that mustard seeds do within magic are protect against witches. And the legend goes that witches are predisposed to counting. They love to count things and pick things up, right? They're little... Like They're crows. Out in the woods. <laughs> yes, yes. Witches are like crows. Um, so witches love to count and they love to pick things up. We all know this. So if you scatter mustard seeds around your front door or your property, the witch can never get into your house. This is this is the strategy that I use as a working mom to get any work done. <laughs> is I just like, like, here's a bucket of those like rubies or whatever the like little beads yeah, you it's yeah just like, sensory yeah, yeah, just a sensory bucket <laughs> <laughs> yes so if you throw mustard seeds around the witches will get so distracted counting and picking them up that they won't have time to bother you and i really loved that um and they're obviously plants but then the list does go into things like a dead baby's like a strangled baby's finger and they're like what plant is that um and a blaspheming jew's liver like what is that and I just have to read to you the comment section because it got, it went deep. It got crazy Um, with that in mind. So I was reading from the University of Minnesota. They have a little blog called Continuum. And it was a very nice thing about how mustard seed is eye of newt. Did you know this? Did you know all of this history of botany and witchcraft and here are the names and the various reasons why they would give them secret names and things like that so they do that Macbeth line and they tell you what everything is and then much like how the internet goes the very first comment from Adrian Bot. can I please ask for some clarification on this there appears to be no sources that provide Eye of Newt as an alternative name for mustard seed prior to the 21st century. Indeed, the whole idea that the ingredients of the witch's cauldron are merely herbs and plants rather than the gruesome items that they appear to be originates with Wiccan author Scott Cun- Cunningham, written in 1985. At the time, many modern pagans were concerned 
to reinvent the negative image of witches found in folklore and claiming Eye of Newt was a harmless herb was part of that propaganda. The proposal that Shakespeare's witches were really only using herbs doesn't stand up to scrutiny. While it might be possible to argue that, for example, a tongue of dog was really the herb hound's tongue, there is no way that finger of birth strangled baby, ditch delivered by a drab, refers to anything but what it says. And the less said about the human liver, the better. Shakespeare was writing to please James I, who was afraid of witches. His weird sisters were meant to be evil, ghoulishly and exaggeratedly so. Moreover, the use of animal parts in historical magic is, as I'm sure you're already aware, well documented. Agrippa provides plenty of examples. The motivation behind trying to reinterpret Shakespeare's malefic witches as harmless herbalists was part of the movement in the 80s and 90s to reclaim witches in general for benevolent Wiccan purposes. Okay, then someone comments on that comment. Contrarily, Shakespeare's works are known to be playful and full of double entendre. It's notable that liver of blaspheming Jew is exactly what one would call liver, which has been prepared to be eaten by a Jewish butcher, who were the common folk who ate them as they were seen culturally as tasty while others were weirded out by them. Many people despise liver and onions today who didn't grow up with it. So even in that, there are parallels. Given further the context of the ambiguous things the witches gave after this scene, if many of these things were given to be ambiguous themselves, that would certainly fit, wouldn't they? And then someone else, I'd love to know your source that Scott Cunningham made it up or that it originates with Cunningham at all. I own Cunningham's Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs. There's no mention of Eye of Newt in that it I have seen. Adder's Mouth and Tongue of Dog are mentioned, but not Wool of Bat, Eye of Newt, or Toe of Frog. I think it's fair to ask which book apparently has this as you are accusing a man of having lack of integrity and making things up. Cunningham in his books generally includes information or source material, and he did his research. And then they just get very mad. And then another commenter weighs in and goes, are you referring to the Roman Agrippa or Heinrich Agrippa? Either way, both of them were biased. And it just goes on and on and on about this, this fight about are the witches well, in Shakespeare. An African swallow, sure. <laughs> yes, yes. Are they using animal parts or plants and why? This person goes in, this is like a 10 page thing about the Norman conquest and animals. And oh, oh my, my gosh. Yes. And it is amazing. Um, and just whether or not Shakespeare was trying to make witches seem harmless or not. And uh, that made me laugh because that's the internet in a nutshell. I will say mustard seeds as a thing have been around forever and people have been making mustard since the stone age so that's cool um the romans made mustard and it has been reported that around 1000 a.d pope john the 12th loved mustard so much he created a vatican position for a mustard maker um and going back to like what does mustard seed if if i have new is mustard seed and i do believe i do take the side of like i have new is mustard seed because there's so much writing on mustard seeds culturally in many different places. Within witchcraft, you can scatter mustard seeds to distract witches, or black mustard seeds can be used for nefarious purposes. I found on moodymoons.com, which gives a history of witchcraft, that there's like so many things that I have Newt does. It symbolizes the smallness of humanity when compared with the vastness of the unknowable universe. So if you find yourself struggling with a problem that seems to get bigger and bigger and is too big, 
You should sleep with a sachet of eye of newt under your pillow and leave it there beginning on the first night of the waning moon until the dark moon. Each night that you go to sleep, imagine the problem shrinking to the size of a mustard seed. And you should repeat that every cycle. Now you, you might say- that, Is that related to the biblical verse about having, oh, sorry, sorry, I'm skipping ahead. No, you're not. That's exactly where it's going. You know your shit, Michelle. Good job. And I'm like, oh, you might say, oh, witchcraft, blah, blah, blah. But yes, speaking of the Bible, um, Jesus in the, has the parable of the mustard seed, right? Where he says, quote, the kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all the garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. So that's like the opposite, right? That the seed gets huge to a huge plant. But, but the it point is, is that you want to shrink it down to the seed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's about the smallness of the mustard seed. Because right now it feels um, big enough for birds to perch in and you want to compress it. Exactly. Um, and it's not just the like Christian Bible. There's references to mustard seeds um, in India from the story of the Gautama Buddha in the fifth century. And he told the story of a grieving mother and the mustard seed. And so the story is when a mother loses her only son, her only son dies, she takes his body to the Buddha to find a cure. And the Buddha asks her to bring a handful of mustard seeds from a family that has never lost a child, a husband, or a parent, and that will cure her son's death. And the, the story, the lesson in that is she can't. She can't find any household that has never experienced that kind of loss. She realizes death is common to everyone and she's able to move on in her grieving process. Um, there's a lot of Jewish texts that compare the knowable universe to the size of a mustard seed to demonstrate the insignificance of humans and to teach humility. Um, the Quran talks about mustard seeds. It says, quote, we place the scales of justice for the day of resurrection so no soul would be treated unjustly at all. And if there's even the weight of a mustard seed, we will bring it forth and sufficient are we as accountants. Yeah, so that's uh, that idea within witchcraft of the mustard seed tracks across a lot of religious and other cultural texts. And I think that's really cool. But we um, don't know where it did first start getting called I have newt. Like we don't know what the motivation behind that was or when it was first used that way. Right, right. So interesting. Like when that started. And I think that's really hard because if we do agree with um that it is and it's an, another name for a plant i had a lot of trouble finding that history and i think that would take a whole history of like herbalism and witchcraft and i kept just on the internet i think that's like library research which is oh i love it but i did not have time to do it um for my internet research it just kept bringing me back to macbeth and i could not escape it and I know that that's not the first time where it was used. Those things were already commonly accepted as witches' ingredients. But I could not figure out when it was first called Eye of Newt. I can find out why people think it's called Eye of Newt because it's really teeny and it comes in different colors. But I could not find that. Um, text Shakespeare draws from does call them the Weird Sisters. And so Shakespeare took all of that, these witches helping out a politician, from something called Hollinshed's Chronicles. And it's Hollinshed's Chronicles of England, Scotland, Scotland and Ireland, which was a collaborative work published in a lot of volumes in 1577. And it's just supposed to be a comprehensive description 
of British history. And so it is seen as like an accurate historical text. And um, in it, it talks about these witches who, when they were on trial, and they were referred to as the Weird Sisters, confessed that they did a spell to sink, I think, King James? Well, whoever was king then, to sink his ship. And they did, there was a big storm, his ship almost sunk. And they came forth and said, we did that. We wanted him out. We wanted to put a new ruler in place. So that is um, where Shakespeare kind of got that from. And like tons of Shakespeare comes from, is influenced by that text. Like King Lear, Macbeth, Cymbeline, on and on and on. A lot of, and not just him, a lot of writers of the time took from that text. I have gone on and on and on. I, I researched like who are the top producers of mustard seed in the world, but we don't need to know that. Um, I mean, it's Russia. Russia is the number one producer <laughs> of mustard seed. Then we don't Canada. need to know that, but now we do. <laughs> it's I did that research. It's Canada. Yeah, the yeah. U.S. is the U.S. is sixth in the production of mustard seeds. And if we're going to talk about it as like an herbalist cure, have you ever had a mustard bath? No. They're amazing. Oh, there's this thing called um dr singha's mustard bath that you can buy yeah so that's a lot i probably more questions than answers in the end but okay Whew. wow that's a lot to work with yeah it up. is all right we should recap I started us off with my weird thing, goats being airlifted because of their insatiable urge to get to the human pee. <laughs> We've come so far. I almost forgot about that. And how can you forget about that? Um, my weird thing was the lack of white plastic hangers in Australia. My pop culture thing was Pikmin 4, specifically Dan Dory, the concept of doing things as efficiently as possible. And my pop culture thing was um, famous, joyful St. Louis Bobs, Beetle Bob and Baton Bob. And my research thing was sort of the history of crossword puzzles and how do you submit one to the New York Times? And my research thing was I have Newt being mustard seed. Okay. 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 I feel, I don't know if I can make the mustard seed fit, but I feel like there's, there's something here about putting in a lot of work for a little bit of joy. Ooh. Yeah. Cause crosswords are a lot of work. They're more work than you would think. Um, Beetle Bob <laughs> put in a whole Beetle Bob lot of and work. Baton Bob. Oh, absolutely. Um, the Pikmin Dan Dory thing. Yeah. That totally works. Your desire for matching hangers it is not worth the brain power and the, the time i expended it, it doesn't matter at the end of the day if i have different colored hangers it will probably i will not care so the mustard seed um well definitely little like the concept of something being compressed and being able to oh, oh yeah what and all the work that the witches will small. do to collect them so that they will leave you alone. Right? I love that. I just adore, I adore that. <laughs> I love it. I think I am going to be weirdly superstitious and like throw mustard seeds outside my door. 
So I feel like, um, can we, can we do something with like, um, what is the, the gather ye rosebuds while ye may? Can we do something like <gasps> scatter yes. ye mustard seeds? <laughs> like while ye play. Scatter ye mustard seeds while ye play. Yeah. Could that yeah. Be it? Oh my gosh. That's it. Because right. All of the stories, because you were like the mustard seed thing doesn't quite fit. So if we have gather ye, scatter ye mustard seeds while ye play um the 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 playing for not like you're doing all this work and it is for joy but it's a lot of effort and the mustard seed is about either bigness or smallness of work and effort. effort yeah yeah okay say it say it we did that so fast oh my gosh we are on it we were we were ready to come back uh because wait the goats fit because it's a lot of work to get rid a of a lot goats of work could just kill them all yeah or, okay or cool give them some salt rock candy right like the and all the work the goats go through to get to, to, get, to get to pee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scatter ye mustard seeds while ye play. Scatter ye mustard seeds while ye play. Oh, yes. Yes, that's it. That's all <laughs> there is. Everyone go take an eye of Newt bath. Enjoy. Or don't. Enjoy. Or don't. Or don't if you're Michelle. Go right. A, either go right a crossword puzzle. Or, or take, take an, an eye of Newt bath. bath. Your choice. You make, but one or the other. You make make your own fun better bring white plastic hangers as your entry entrance fee (gasps) maybe that's the answer just anyone who wants to visit me i have free housing for you but you have to bring me one pack of target white plastic hangers that fits (laughs) in a suitcase that's not too much to ask it's not heavy it's not going to put you over the limit if anyone wants to bring me a housewarming present or a present to australia make it target brand white plastic hangers yep (laughs) And Done. then scatter Done ye justice. mustard seeds while you play. Scatter ye mustard seeds while you play. And uh, it's so good to be back. And we're back. We're back. We're back. We'll be back in two weeks and every two weeks thereafter until we decide we need a break. Yep. Yep. Done, done, done. Good night or good morning. Good night. Good morning. Good afternoon. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.